0: Today I'm joined by Grace Gill. Grace was a two-time A-League champion with Canberra United. She represented the Matildas and is now a respected football commentator and analyst who will be one of the commentators for the upcoming World Cup. Thanks for your time today, Grace.
1: Pleasure to be here, Abby. Thanks so much for having me.
0: So we'll obviously talk more about the World Cup soon, but just first of all, as we're chatting now, there's exactly three weeks to go, which I think we said before, where are your excitement levels at right now?
1: It is just creeping up on us and I remember starting a countdown timer when it was like 150 days to go and now that we're almost into single digits it is just like literally just around the corner and in a couple more weeks time that'll be down into single digits and then that first game will be upon us before we know it.
0: This year has gone by so fast it's crazy. (laughs) Um, There may be a lot of kids like me or even adults who never saw you play when you were younger. How would you describe your football career and the type of player that you were? Well, that's a great question.
1: It was a while ago. Um, So I played mostly between the years of around about 2006 to 2018. And that's when I spent most of my time with Canberra United. So with United, I was a central defensive midfielder. So um, just good sort of scanner, good delivery. I was never like the fastest player on the team or um, the most explosive, but I could sort of run all day. um, And I really loved putting through balls through for, you know, players in the likes of, you know, Michelle Heyman and Ash Sykes, they're girls that I played with. So that was, um, that was what I really enjoyed doing when I played.
0: And you were there when the Women's A-League or the W-League, as it was called back then, first started. What are your memories of how everyone was feeling when the new national women's competition was starting?
1: It was pretty cool. It was one of those things that we didn't know exactly what it would be and how it would turn out, and we didn't have any idea that it would last for well now coming into its 16th year this season of now what is the A-League Women's. But at the time, we were just sort of excited that we had a national competition back on the stage. And we had some of the best players, well, the best players in Canberra at the time with Canberra United. And a lot of those girls were either current Matildas or former Matildas. And in the early days of Canberra United, we had some really successful years. So my memories of that time are really, really fond. And to be now, yeah, 15, 16 years down the line is a pretty cool thing to think back on.
0: When you were a kid playing football, was that ever something you thought about like possibly being able to play nationally?
1: It wasn't really, to be honest. I I genuinely just played for fun because my friends at school did. And when I started playing on the team with a few friends who I'm still friends with today, which is like one of the coolest parts about football, is that you just make these lifelong friends and lifelong relationships. And um, I didn't think of it at the time, but as I sort of progressed in my career and then sort of went up the ACT or Canberra ranks and then the W League was formed, that was a genuine uh, aspiration that I had to play. So to then go on and play for eight years, is with Canberra United was pretty special.
0: Well, it's pretty awesome, I guess. Where you've gone now? Um, another pretty cool. <laughs> um, another pretty cool thing that I found out is that you are Matilda 158. You played one game for the Matildas in 2008, and I was looking at some of the other girls in that team that day: Claire Pockinghorn, Tamika Yellup, and Kaya Simon. They must have all been like babies back then.
1: They were, and I was, you know, a little bit older than them. Polks and I are the same age. Um, We're born in the same year. Obviously, they went on to do some pretty incredible stuff and are still doing some pretty incredible stuff. But I think that's why for me, this World Cup is so special because to see players who were either my teammates or former opposition, and now they're playing at some of the best teams in the world and for the Matildas and on a home World Cup, is really really special so you know there's a sense of pride around that but just seeing yeah I guess your your colleagues and your teammates go on to do such spectacular things is 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 just great to sit back and watch.
0: And there was someone else in that team as well um in fact you replaced her at halftime when you came on Elise Perry and she would have been a teenager back then as well and she also played with you at Canberra. What kind of an athlete and a person was she back then just as a teenager?
1: I mean She's unreal. She's as good as she is today in terms of her athleticism. Um, She's such a great cricketer and she was a wonderful footballer as well. Um, She was one of those athletes that people would look at and just be like, how are you so good at everything? And she and she continued that into her cricket career and, and still to this day does exactly that. But she was always really smart. She was always really measured um, in sort of her footballing style. Uh, and she was versatile too. She could play on the wing. She could play defensively. Um, and she went on to have a pretty good career in football as well.
0: And then there's someone that you played with at Canberra with their career was just starting was Hayley Razzo, And she would have been super young then as well. What do you remember about young Haley? And I have to know was she still like wearing um her famous ribbons back then? I think she was. Um, you know, <laughs> Haley came down from Brisbane, and this is such it's such a
1: good question, Abby, because she came down from Brisbane because she struggled to get picked for the Brisbane Raw, what back then was Queensland Raw. So she had to go further afield to try and find a team that would take her. And she came down to Canberra. She was a really young player. She had this raw talent about her. She was fast. She was fiery. Similar things to what she is now, but exactly those traits that we know about Hayley, she was, you know, 10, 15 years ago. So again, she's another one to see her go from her first back then W League appearance with Canberra United on to the Matildas, to Manchester City and, you know, wherever her future holds her. She's one that I'm particularly proud of.
0: And you've just said, you know, that Haley and some of the Matilda's um, girls now, like Tamika Yallop and Claire um, and Kaya Simon, you know, they've all gone off to do pretty amazing things. How proud are you just of where they've gotten?
1: Well, I think just having that you know, connection with those girls who I grew up either playing with or against and have just sat back in awe of them. You know, they're such incredible athletes and they've persevered in a time when it was really hard because when they first started playing, they didn't have the support or the resources or the professionalism that the game has now. So now that they're playing in full-time sporting environments where they can be athletes is is amazing. And yeah, I'm so happy for all of them.
0: And just going back to your career, I read that um, towards the end of it, you were kind of having a few injuries and you were determined to almost, you know, end it while it was still in your control. How did you handle the transition from going to, you know, training all the time, always playing sport to just kind of the normal world?
1: Yeah, to be honest, it was pretty tough. And I was in a really... I'd say fortunate position where I had a great support network around me. I had good family, I had good friends. Um, I, I was working full time in an office job in Canberra the whole way throughout my Canberra United career. So when I stopped playing for Canberra United, I still had that job. And it's not like I then had to try and find my feet in the world. I just continued on in my sort of professional career outside of football. But even though I had that, it was still really tough to then settle back into normality and to find a routine that didn't revolve around training and recovery and games. So it is a really hard part of any athlete's career. Um, But I was in a really fortunate position. But it's something that I do. I think uh, I'm quite passionate about in terms of supporting players into that part of their career, because it can be a really tricky period
0: and I guess like you just said you think you know it's kind of important to help you know other athletes with that because i guess just other athletes in all sports and spend, spend so much of their time um and their life just training and competing just all the time and i can imagine it can just be you know super hard when that just all suddenly comes to an end do you think enough is being done at the moment to help with that kind of transition
1: i think we are finally starting to see more awareness about how important that time of an athlete's life is because when you're the young athlete who is you know a superstar 13 or 14 year old and people go "Oh, that's the next big thing in this sport you get everything thrown at you in the way of support and resources to help you succeed and then when you're at the tail end of your career whether it's through injury or age or non-selection you don't have the same level of support and resources so to answer your question I'd say no, like quite not enough is being done to fully support people into retirement or transitioning into that part of their life. But there's definitely a move that that's been more recognised, which I think is really important.
0: I guess sometimes you see, you know, athletes, you know, having children, so they have to take time off sport, but sometimes they don't always get the support they need. But it's good that it is like slowly changing, I guess, and that, you know, we're getting more support slowly for athletes that are, I guess, going through that transition period.
1: Definitely. And, you know, Katrina Gorey, she's one who's not only gone through that period, but returned to such high level participate in, participation sorry, and not just returned, but she's returned in, you know, some of the best form of her life. So the fact that not only her club team and the Matildas have those support mechanisms in place now, I think, yeah, that's moving in the right direction.
0: And I guess just going back to your career, how did you find yourself becoming a football expert in the media?
1: Again, a good question. Um, I was still playing at the time with Canberra United when I got my first opportunity to co-commentate a game in Canberra. And it was one of those things where I was thrown a little bit in the deep end with it and thought, oh, well, I'll I'll give it a go. I'll see how we go. Um, And I really enjoyed it. And then when, when my playing career slowed down and I stopped playing with Canberra United, I wanted to remain involved in the game and I didn't want to go into coaching or, or that side of things, but I really enjoyed the media and broad, broadcast side of things. So I started doing a little bit more commentary and picking up some of those skills. And then when there was some chances to work on a panel or a couch, uh, you know, I put my hand up for those too. So I've really enjoyed I guess this the nervousness and the excitement you get ahead of going on air and talking about a game in the same way that I used to really enjoy the nervousness and excitement before playing a game and it's just sort of gone from there
0: and you said you kind of you know got into it or you were asked to co commentate you know while you were kind of still on playing and I mentioned earlier that some of your teammates you know they're still playing now how do you deal with sometimes having to like criticize your like old teammates
1: Yeah, that's really hard and it's something that over time I've had to develop. I think when I first started commentating, I was really scared, I guess, to be critical of either a former teammate or even just other girls in the league who I knew and had respected and played against for my career. But I think in your role, whether it's in commentary or whether it's on the couch in, you know, analysing a game, you're there to do a job and to talk about what is genuinely going on. So you don't want to sit on the side and, and cheerlead and paint a picture that isn't true. So you have to talk in a way that's accurate and respectful. But I think there's a really fine balance between how you criticize someone because as a player and as an athlete, when you've made a mistake or when you've had a bad game, you're the harshest person on yourself. So you don't need people making you sort of feel worse about that. But as a media professional, you do need to find a nice, a nice, I guess, nuanced, balanced, respectful way to observe that a player hasn't had their best game and there's different styles and you know my style is different to the next person's as well so there's no right or wrong way but that's just my preferred way of going about it.
0: I think there might have been a recent um, incident in the A-League where an ex-player who was commentating they made a criticism of one of the players and you know they were kind of like coming at them in the media almost going you know this isn't really helping the growth of our game. Was it kind of like I guess weird at first just having to do all that and were there many like comments when you first started doing it?
1: When I first started, um, I wouldn't say there were too many comments because like I said, I was probably pretty cautious with it. And as I've grown into years of of learning and developing in this role, um, I think I've I've found ways in which I can be critical and provide constructive criticism or feedback on a player's performance or on a team's performance that doesn't necessarily attract too much hate from people or from players or from the media. But as I said, there's different styles to that. And some some pundits, some experts, they just want to be really direct and and flat, and that's fine, you know. And I think that's yeah. really respected as well. But you know, for me personally, that's not exactly how I I look to present myself.
0: And I guess, like you know, as an ex-player, you would know what it feels like to have commentary made about you and like statements about you. Do you think it's an ad- it is really an advantage when you do it because you know what's actually like helpful for the players?
1: I think so, and I think that's why I'm really mindful of it because, you know, I think. When I, when I watched the Matildas documentary on Disney+, there was a bit of my commentary that was used over one of the Matildas games where Sam Kerr missed an opportunity. And I remember I said, she's got to do better there. And that that's true. That's a true statement. She had to do better there. But I remember when I was watching the documentary, it stood out to me not only because it was it's weird always weird hearing your own voice back but because i knew more than anyone in that moment sam would have known that she had to do better there so i think it's always really important to reflect and you know go back and listen to your games and and look at what you could have said in a way or a different way or a better way and you know i don't take back what i said but i think it's a really good way to be mindful about how you can speak respectfully about a player who knows and, then, and they will be their harshest judge on themselves anyway.
0: Yeah, that's true. Oh, and so you were kind of an expert commentator and co-commentator, but then the past season, you started being an actual, you know, the main commentator of the games as well. What was it like kind of um, taking on that different role for the first time?
1: Scary. <laughs> it was scary. And it gave me a, a whole new appreciation for the work that our lead commentators do, because I've sat in the role of co-commentary for several years now, but to sit in the seat and to be the person who's driving the show, who's calling the play by play, it's a completely different role. So you're not talking about the the why of the game, you're talking about the what, you're talking about so-and-so passing to someone else, you're calling what is happening. And it was a completely different shift uh, from what I've been so used to doing um, and also has yeah, changed the way I prepare for games as well. So my research, my preparation, my homework, um, but a very eye-opening experience, I'd say.
0: What's more nerve wracking do you think walking out for a big game or having to get ready for commentate? Cause you said you have a lot of nerves. Yeah.
1: Um, I think the feeling is actually really similar. Um, and I've said this, I've said this sort of in different ways before where, so when you're preparing as a player, you do all the training, um, you watch, film of other teams, uh, you look back on your own performances and then you also look at the other teams and sort of think, you know, where are their strengths, where are their weaknesses? And then you go out on the park with the girls and you put in the work throughout the week. The preparation is kind of similar for commentary because you watch film of the teams, you put in the preparation, you go out and do your research and do your notes. And then when it comes to game day as a player, you get that nervous excitement. And I get the same feeling in commentary because I care about what I'm doing and I want to do a really good job. In the same way as a player, I cared about how I played and wanted to do a good job. And then at the end of the game or at the end of my commentating, you look back and you think, well, did I play well? Did I commentate well? What could have I done better? What could have I said better? So there's some really similar reflections to take from both positions. It's hard to say which is more nerve-wracking or which is harder um but they're sort of similar in a way
0: I guess I haven't really thought about all the similar similarities that they would have but yeah I guess yeah. That's, it's really obvious now but <laughs> <laughs> and I think personally it's really important that we have more female voices commentating sport as well as the other parts although like you said it might be more nerve-wracking or harder you know to get the job what's it like being part of you know this new era of women's commentators
1: yeah, it's something that I feel I feel really proud about. Um, and I think we're seeing a few more women uh, overseas in those lead roles. So in the WSL and even in some of the Premier League games, there's lead female voices, which I think is so important. And I think what we'll see at this 2023 World Cup in particular is more women involved, whether that's in broadcast, uh, on panels, um, hopefully in things like governance positions, administration positions. And that stuff is so important too, not just the players. The players are amazing. in in their own right but actually having a full framework of women being involved in these key positions is really important so for me to be involved as part of channel 7's coverage for the women's world cup on home soil look yeah I'm incredibly proud about it
0: do you think we'll see a time anywhere soon where you know females are commentating main um a league men's games
1: yeah, that's a really good question. I hope so. I hope so. And I think in the last couple of years of the A-League men, obviously I've been involved Then you've got the likes of people like Amy Chapman, Georgia Yeomendale. And even this year in the A-League women's, we had lead female commentators like Pakur Frimpong and some really talented talented commentators, Taryn Heddo, Georgia Radic, like those girls are doing such a good job too. And they've been given the platform and the opportunity to step into those positions. So I hope that that continues and especially into the men's space, but it is, it does still have a little way to go.
0: Um, and just about your commentating again, you'll be one of the voices of the World Cup on, in Australia on Channel 7. And it'll probably be one of the biggest TV audiences we've ever had for women's football, you know, like it'll be huge for kids, men, women, and you're going to be, you know, in the middle of it being on TV commentating it all. What are you most excited about being one of the expert commentators?
1: Not to add to my nerves, Abby, but <laughs> <laughs> you. Oh, that's a, a really good question. I think You know, I think that first game against the Republic of Ireland for the Matildas is going to be huge. I think we're going to see close to 80,000 people at the stadium. I think the roar of that stadium is going to be something that we haven't really experienced in Australia at a football game. And I think that moment for the players, but also for people like me, people like you in the media, I think it's actually going to be pretty emotional and seeing the Matildas walk out and I just know the stadium will lift at that point. I kind of get goosebumps just thinking about it. So <laughs> I think that moment I'm really looking forward to, and obviously just really excited in general about the whole event.
0: Sorry if I made you a bit nervous with all of that. No, this. no, 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 sorry, it. it's good. <laughs> so exciting. Um, and I've actually got a question now that came in from a Huawei follower, which is what kind of assistance do the commentators get from all of the countries about making sure they pronounce the players' names correctly?
1: Yeah, good question. So we don't yet have the official pack of pronunciation guides, but that stuff does come through. And some teams are really good at preparing... Uh, phonetically spelt names or a voice recording of names. and a few of the teams are starting to release that kind of information. Um, but as well as that, I like to do pretty thorough research. and whether that's going and listening to games where the players who are playing names are pronounced and me sort of understanding how to say names, it may be difficult when I first read them. I, I like to try and do my best job at respecting correct pronunciation. Some obviously so much harder than others, but that's all part of the preparation too.
0: Is that one of the, like the harder parts about being the main commentator because you've got to kind of say their names and like say that every moves, I guess?
1: Yeah, sort of player ID, so being able to watch the game and see a player and know their number and their name and have the correct pronunciation. So there's sort of a few key pieces of information that happen in a split second, really.
0: Yeah, it's a lot to memorize and learn, I guess. <laughs> Wow. And I said at the beginning that you were there when the Women's National League started. Now we have the biggest starts in the world, about to play in the biggest stadiums in Australia. What impact do you, and New Zealand, what impact do you think that this tournament will have?
1: Well, you know what? I don't know if we'll realise the full impact until after the tournament. And I think we can speculate about it now and think, you know, we'll. I've got no doubt we'll see increased playing numbers across boys and girls, which is really important. I think hoping the Matildas have a really good tournament and a deep run into the tournament. I think there'll be more resources and funding around women's football in our country and in New Zealand as well. Um, I think in terms of legacy and impact, I think we've spoken a little bit about it, but commentators and having women in positions of voice and power, I think, those kind of things are really, really important as well. So I think it's a whole raft of what the impact will be and I don't think we'll quite feel the extent of it until sort of months after the tournament.
0: Oh, And I guess there's been countries like um, the US and also like England and just many other countries in Europe where I guess football is kind of like just the women are like, treated normally like the men as well and they're both getting paid and they're both getting, you know, huge crowds because of like the Euros and whatever. Do you think that this world cup is going to be that kind of changing point for Australia where, you know, it's kind of our time?
1: I think so. I think that's exactly right. And I think we saw what the Euros did for England winning the European championships last year. And now you're exactly right. Like the WSL is attracting bigger crowds in England than they've ever seen on the back of that tournament. Some of the girls in that Lioness squad are now household names. And I think there are definitely names in the Matildas squad that people know, but there's also some they don't know. And I think by the end of this tournament, not only the Matildas and the name of the Matildas will be known across Australia, but I think so many of the girls in the Matildas squad will be household names.
0: So excited for that. Thanks so much for the chat, Grace, and I can't wait to hear more of your amazing commentary, especially during the World Cup. Thanks, Happy.
1: Really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me on.
0: Thanks for listening. To support Herway, visit the link in the description section